Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, so you're probably wondering why did you just hear Gloria Stefan's coming out of the dark to start the Believe in UConn Women's Basketball Podcast? Well, <laughs> a little backstory about that song. It was the number one song in the country for the week of March the 24th through the 30th in 1991. And you're like, all right, cool. This is 2020. This is the first week of March in 2020. What does 1991 have to do with this? Simple. It plays into the guest for today's episode of the podcast. And before I get into that, just want to remind everybody that, again, this is the Believe in UConn Women's Basketball Podcast. I am your host, Jacob DeLawrence. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at underscore J Della. And also follow Believe on Twitter as well at Believe Podcast. Believe is spelled B-L-E-A-V. Believe is the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Yeah. So, it's 2020. It's Monday. It's March the 2nd. And you're like, Cool. Why am I hearing Gloria Stefan? Why am I not hearing the bass-heavy beat normally? Why am I not getting a little bounce? Again, like I said, it plays into the guest for this episode. For the first time ever, there is a guest on the Believe in UConn Women's Basketball Podcast. I have the I had the privilege and the honor to sit down and have a nice chat, little conversation with one of the greatest Huskies of all time that nobody talks about. She was so great, in fact. she When she left college and she left stores, she was number nine on the all-time scoring list. She was a part of the first team to win a Big East Conference Championship, the first team to make it to the Final Four. She was an assistant coach on the national champ, the first national championship team. She helped recruit some key players during her time on the coaching staff, including Nakeisha Sales. What else can we say about this woman? She racked up award after award she brought back the most outstanding player for the 1991 big east tournament yeah that's right she's kind of a big deal but let her tell it it's all because of her teammates and their relationship and everything else and the family atmosphere so if you don't quite have a clue about who i'm talking about it's none other than megan pattison well, she was formerly known as Megan Pattison. She is now Megan Como. She is the voice of UConn women's basketball on SNY. You can catch her every night covering UConn games right there on the sideline, giving you her thoughts, opinions, and analysis like nobody else can in the game. She is one of the best at what she does. She's been doing it for 20-plus years. And she was so kind to take some time out of her busy schedule and sit down and talk with me. So... This is going to be the episode for this week, for this Monday. I know I promised you guys a breakdown of South Carolina and Oregon. But, you know, I think I think one of the greatest Huskies of all time that nobody talks about is much, much better. And we also kind of address South Carolina and Oregon in our conversation. 
We talk about the state of the team, what we see the ceiling for this team is and what we expect. We also talk about the growth of some of the players over the course of the season. And don't don't worry, don't fret. We also get into what was Gino Oriema like back in 1985. I'm sorry, 1988 when Megan got there. Gino got to Connecticut in 1985. Megan got there his third year. So, you know, Connecticut wasn't a powerhouse. Like I said, I listed off some of her accomplishments. It was a lot of first, which means, hey, the Huskies weren't the Huskies that we know today. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about why she decided to go to UConn. We talked about her coaching. I also asked her if she coaches her kids. So we got a little bit of everything. We're talking basketball. We're talking the current game, the past game, her playing style, what it's like at UConn. And why, in her opinion, that the key to Connecticut's success and its sustainability for 30 years of being such a dominant program is all because they don't treat it like it's just a basketball program. Like, they don't treat you just like, all right, you're here for four to five years. I'm going to get the most out of you and bye. No, they welcome you in. They treat you like a family. Megan tells a story about a care package that she just got in connection to the 30th anniversary of Gamble Pavilion. So just sit back, relax, enjoy. It's a nice, long conversation. I was I was thinking about breaking it in two parts, but honestly, it just flows so well as one. So sit back, relax, enjoy. And that is why I'm starting with off with Gloria Stefan, because 1991... This Connecticut team was the first team to go to the Final Four. That week, it was Gloria Stefan. She had a number one song in the country. I'm sure Megan's going to get a nice little kick out of this when she hears it. So sit back, relax. Here's my conversation with Megan Como. I will be back after it's done to wrap it up and give you a preview for the upcoming episode. To start this off, for those that might not be familiar with you, could you just talk a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, well, I played at UConn uh, from 1988 to 92, um, and then I coached for two years uh, with Gino, and then I've been broadcasting their games since 1996. I did radio for a year. And then I've been doing TV for them since 1997. Uh, that's, that's kind of a basic uh, background, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> not very interesting sounding, but I figured we could get we could chat a little more, you know. Gotcha. So it's safe to say you're UConn life, that you literally bleed blue. Yeah, I mean it's really funny, and the timing of this conversation. It's pretty good, too, because I just got a package in the mail um, from the women's basketball office, and it was a, a shirt with the old logo um, that we played under uh, with some pictures from, like, we just celebrated the 30th anniversary of the first game in Gamble, which was mm-hmm. my, soft, my sophomore year, um, and we just they just sent out to everybody t- long sleeve T-shirts, which they were just, you know, fun logo on there because, you know, you can't find it really anymore because it's the new one. So we got shirts, uh, a shirt, pictures, and just a, just like a nice note. And they, and I, and I followed up with Gino's assistant, Sarah in the office. And I said, you know, thanks so much for sending that. And it's an example of what makes this program so special. 
Um, Because everything about it has always been the people. You know, even when I went there, you know, I chose, you know, I, it was 1988. Gino was nobody. Um, and I'm so thankful that I met him when he was nobody. Because he'll not, and, you know, he's this big Hall of Famer and everything now. But he's still that guy that I met um, when I was a junior in high school. Um, and no one knew who he was. And uh, and he's still pretty much the same person. Um, but everything about this program has always been about the people. And Gino's, you know, Gino and his wife and his kids are like my family. Chris Daly um, is so special. You know, everyone involved with the program is just really special. And, like, all of our alum come back and we get we keep in touch. Like, I'm on uh, many different text chains with different variations of players and, and, and many of whom I didn't even play with. Um, but it's just a really special group of people. And I'm just really lucky to be a part of it. And again, that you kind of mentioned that, because I was going to ask, what made you want to go to UConn? Because like you said, you were there from 1988 to 92. Gino had just got there three years prior from 1985. Yeah. Yeah. He was this fiery young assistant that came from Virginia. You know, it's not the Gino that I grew up watching mm-hmm. and that I can vividly remember. It's not so much the Gino that my dad saw. It was basically, like you said, he was more or less a nobody, and Connecticut wasn't what it is now. So you mm-hmm. kind of laid the foundation for it, but made you want to be like, you know what, this is where I want to spend my next four-plus years at. Yeah, well, God knows, I certainly never thought I'd still be here. But uh, <laughs> you know what? Every, you know, my first conversation was with Chris Daly, and it was an hour-long conversation. We talked about everything under the sun. We realized we were born in the same hospital. She knew my cousins in New Jersey. Um, we had all this crazy stuff in common, and we just we hit it off. And then I talked to Gino, and we hit it off. And, you know, I've always been a people person, and if, if I enjoy the people I'm around, well, I want to be around them more, you know. And, and I just bought into everything that they said. And I came up – I remember driving up the Barrett Parkway, because we we go to we grew up outside Philadelphia and we would go to Cape Cod every summer so we would drive on the Merritt um and I remember driving towards campus and you know driving through Connecticut there were parts of it that kind of reminded me of Bucks County where I grew up and then I get to the campus and honestly like they didn't even bring us into the locker room uh cuz it was a dump in the field house and, and like in the off season, he had to share it with the baseball team and blah, blah. Like there was, you know, it was just so, it was such an old building and, but none of that mattered to me because I just really instantaneously loved the two of them. And I just, I didn't see all the rest of it. You know, I just saw them. And it's funny that 30 plus years later, you know, I, I was on a plane. We were giggling on the plane last night coming home from a game at Cincinnati. And it's like no time has passed. And it's been, you know, and I'm I'm going to be 50. You know, and I was like 17 when I was, when I first met them. So it's pretty remarkable. Um, and I'm just, again, I just, I'm pretty lucky to, to still be around it. Cause the, and the wins and the losses have nothing to do. The championships, like all that's great. Um, but that's so secondary 
to what these people are to me in my life. Like, they're just my friends. And I'm lucky that we all get to hang out together. You know what I mean? Gotcha. So you can, so you're definitely saying that a lot of the foundation and why Connecticut has been what it's been for the past 30 years is largely in part to who Gino and Coach Daly are as people. A hundred percent. Yeah, they, I mean, it is a family. In fact, the card that, um, I just got with this shirt and everything from the 30th anniversary weekend, it was signed, your Yukon family. Because, you know, a lot of people say they're a family and they have a family atmosphere and all of that. And that's great. Um, but, you know, I just know for 30 plus years, these guys have lived it. They, they talk the talk and they walk the walk. And I was joking with some of the seniors on the team on this trip. I'm like, you realize you're going to become one of us soon. You know, like you're our, <laughs> our group is expanding and it's a really great group. I mean, it doesn't matter, you know, you could be Stewie or Diana or Sue or, you know, people who were, you know, walk-ons. Everyone's the same and everyone is seen the same and everyone gets along great and, um, we just enjoy being together, enjoy having fun. And I mean, that's the point of it, right? We're on this earth a short time. You gotta have, a, you gotta enjoy it while you're here. Definitely. So I want to know when, say, the bulk or a lot of you guys get together. I know you mentioned the 30th anniversary of Campbell. We'll get, we're going to get into that in a second. But when a bunch of you guys get together, you ever just play a pickup game? But not us oldies. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you can still go. I'm sure you can still uh, give somebody well, the business. you know what? I got um, – <laughs> we're probably better drinking together than playing together. Um, <laughs> but you know what? We get together. We've been so lucky with the last – with 12 straight Final Fours. I mean, that's been our time to get together. Right. Um, but there's, we there's, like, certain people from different generations. Like, I kind of keep it connected from the old-timers. And then there's Mel Thomas, Colleen Green, Caroline Doty. Like, all of those guys are younger, and we're in constant contact. And we kind of can – they can pull the younger guys in. And so, literally, we'll be together um, at the Final Four, and we'll, it, there could be 30 of us, you know. Um, and, it, and it's great. And it's uh, – again, it's every era, doesn't matter. Um, and that's really that. At the end of the day, like, we, we, yeah, we want to win and, and all of that, but we just want an opportunity to be able to get together with everybody. And the Final Four has been that um, for many of us. So um, the younger guys, I think they go play pickup at the Final Four, but um, I think those of us who are older, we're, we're smart enough to uh, <laughs> to sit that out. <laughs> Arthritis has set in. I know on me for sure. Are you sure? Because I feel like you could probably go out there and just teach them a couple things. You know, the game changes once you get a little more advanced, a little older, a little up in age. You know, you you play a smarter game. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm not – I was a – I wasn't uh, – let's put it this way. I was a physical player, which is probably why my body is, you know, falling apart today. Um, So – I uh, I went out, you know, I graduated, was done, and I played a little bit after college, but I haven't played in a while. I uh, I stick to Orange Theory. That's about all I got. But I love that. So, <laughs> <laughs> I 
just want my clothes to fit. That's all. <laughs> gotcha. So, um, let's get into a little bit of your time at UConn. You said the reason you went there is because it felt like home. It reminded you of home. It was a family atmosphere. You found out that Coach Daly knew your cousins. You were born in the same hospital. Real small world. A bunch of six degrees of separation right mm, there. Yeah. And that was, like, that was, honestly, I learned some of that with a lot of that information with Chris, our very first phone call. Um, so, I mean, that was pretty incredible. So, um, yeah, I, I just bought into everything that they were talking about and, and selling in terms of what they, how they wanted to build this program. And, and then my freshman year, we won the regular season for the first time. We won the conference tournament for the first time, we went to the NCAA tournament for the first time. And, and, uh, and I'm so, it's really the coolest perspective, I think, to be a part of, um, of building it. Like, I'm so proud to have been there in the beginning, playing in the field house, and just some of the, the crazy things that happened back then. Because mm-hmm. even today, people will say, well, wow, do you wish you were playing in front of all these sold-out crowds and, and for national championships? And I'm like, you know what? I wouldn't trade my experience for the world like it was and, and that that feeling of com- camaraderie of building something like we didn't realize it was going to become what it is now we had no idea but we just you know we believed in ourselves and in each other and what we were trying to do and we just had a blast um, and you could say that their process is pretty much the same you know just go to work every day try to get better have fun. You know, there's Gino writes three things on the board. Uh play hard, play smart and have fun. And that's um that's pretty indicative of the way they do things and um and it's always been fun. And yeah, there are some there are ups and downs and right it's a long season, and it's stressful and all that. Um but to have been a part of the building of it um is something that I, I am that's probably one of the things that I'm most proud of is that we were there in the beginning and helped build what stands today. So because I was doing a little research for this, making sure I found like those unturned stones, those real oh, hard questions for, for you. you. Yeah. And I knew the name because my dad was a huge UConn fan for like my whole life. That's all I knew as a kid was UConn men and women's basketball. That's the only fandom that he really cared about. No That's way. the only one that I took from him. Yeah. Like, die hard. Growing up in Alabama, I had Yukon T-shirts. He would wear, like, this old Yukon sweatshirt when he would work in the yard. It, it had the old Husky logo where it's, like, a little more majestic looking. Yeah. Well, it's just like, that's all I knew. That's so he incredible. would tell me about some of the players and whatnot. And you, like you said, you helped lay the groundwork for a lot of stuff. You are probably one of the more underrated and I don't want to say forgotten players, <laughs> but kind of in a sense you are because I just looked at some of your accomplishments. You were the first. You were on the you were on the team that was the first one to make the NCAA, like you said, first Final Four team. You mm-hmm. started the run of making the tourney. You won the first Big East title. You accomplished a lot of firsts, and when you left, you were number nine, if I'm not mistaken, in scoring all time. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's right, yeah. But you know what? It's, hey, it's a team game, right? I mean, 
Carrie Bascom, who I was lucky to play with for three years, she was a beast. Um, she was such a great player. Um, and we weren't like this imposing, athletic-looking group. We had a lot <laughs> of slow white girls. Uh, but we played well together, and we were um, we were just disciplined, fundamentally sound, and we had great chemistry. And um, we ran this great offense that I keep busting Gino that he should bring it back. Um, but it was just – it was a great group. Um, and uh, I see the bad part is there's not a lot of film from back then. It was all like VHS. I would love to look at some of our old game tapes. Um, they showed some stuff at our 30th anniversary. Um, and it was just crazy to look at some of the plays and the stuff that we did, but it was just so, it was so fun to be a part of it. So I just listed all those accomplishments. I know you said you're just really just proud to be there, to be a key part of laying the foundation and the groundwork, and like you said, you had no clue it was going to become this monster that has, quote-unquote, ruined women's college basketball. (laughs) You asked me, it's made the game better, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But of everything that you accomplished there, what are you most proud of? I know you're probably going to say it's like your kids, you don't have a favorite, but there's got to be something that comes to mind when people ask you about your time at Connecticut. My favorite thing about my UConn experience is really my relationship with everyone who's there. You know, I I have the same and obviously better relationship right 35 years later but Gino and Chris and and everybody and all my you know my teammates like it it, that's the like aside from the wins and the records and the accolades and and championships none of that matters quite as much as the relationships I have with the program and everyone involved that's what I'm most proud of be like, oh, you know, most proud of my most outstanding player award from the Big East tournament that one year. Say, oh wait, you were chopping. I didn't hear what you said. Say that again. I said I was expecting you to say something like, oh, I'm most proud of winning that most outstanding player award from the Big East tournament back in '91. But you know, I, I understand. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> uh, well, that was, you know, the sad part was. Terry didn't, like, we didn't play great as a team that weekend. So I think it was kind of a, I won that by default. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think it's somewhere in my basement. I don't even know where it is. I was going to say, do you, have, do you keep your trophies and your accolades for display? Or do you just kind of tuck it away? You know what? When we moved into this house, like, 11 years ago, everything was in boxes. And then we have this big basement. So... And there's a pool table down there, so I, I put I put pictures up on the wall um, of you know various things that I had acquired over the years. So I have pictures mm-hmm. down there. I don't really have a, the trophy was in a box for the longest time. I think I put like I don't even know where it is. It's somewhere in that basement, but I don't even know if I don't think it's displayed anywhere. Cause that would be kind. Of, I don't know. I just think it's kind of cheesy. Uh, to put it out in the basement. You know, my kids are down there playing. They don't want to look at a trophy of their mom. 
Um, oh, you just got to let them know that moms was the moms was a big deal back in the day. You know? <laughs> yeah, but I'm still going to tell them to make their beds and clean their rooms. So, <laughs> um, so yeah. So I, you know, it's just, in fact, I was just thinking that with this package I got today with this T-shirt and and pictures from that weekend, I got to put those pictures in a frame. Uh, there's a cute one of Gino and CD and I, and then uh, a then and now, like the, everyone today. Uh, that weekend, and then a picture of, like, our team picture from 1989. So, uh, yeah, i got to try to put that in a frame. That would be kind of cool. It definitely is a nice little then and now moment. Yeah. Speaking of 1989 in that time frame, you win the first Big East Conference tournament as for UConn. The thing that many people might not know or when they look at it, they're like, oh, Big East, Big East, whatever. Okay, this is where it started. You won that tournament with Coach Daly going in and playing <laughs> yep. the role of head coach. Mm-hmm. Exactly what happened, and I know probably back in 1989 you didn't realize how big of a moment it was. Mm-hmm. But looking back at it now, do you see it as a bigger moment because, one, it was the first one for UConn, and, two, it was the first one, and it didn't happen with Gino, and it happened with Coach Daly, who Crazy, was still undefeated right? as a head coach. I know, I know, and she reminds him of that all the time. Uh, what was really funny, um, well, it was just a crazy turn of events, right? So what happened was earlier in the season, we played an exhibition game with referees. And I think we we may have worn our uniforms or maybe our, like, our practice jerseys. But, because, but somehow that got counted as a game. And so the last game of the regular season – we were to play Syracuse, and they had already traveled down. And I remember getting a call in my dorm room, like, the day of the game, like, there's a quarantine, there's no game. And I'm like, what? <laughs> but we had to meet in the locker room or something. And so Barb Jacobs, who was just now retiring from the American Athletic Conference as one of the commissioners, she was the head coach of Syracuse at the time, and she is sort of the unsung hero in all of this. Because she agreed, we forfeited the game. Because if we had played that game, we would ever, we would have had too many games in our schedule, and every we would have had to lose everything. It was just bizarre. So the punishment from the Big East Conference. Okay, so we had to forfeit that game. So Syracuse drove down here for nothing, and then they turned around and went home. And then Gino wasn't allowed to go to the banquet. He had gotten Coach of the Year, but he didn't. They didn't announce it at the banquet, nor did – he may not have gone either to the banquet. I can't remember that. But then he wasn't allowed to coach the tournament. Okay. So Chris coached all the other games. And I think – and remember, there were no cell phones. So I think at halftime – I think his wife, Kathy, was calling from a payphone, and the game was at Seton Hall. So she went outside the gym to a payphone in the lobby – and would call him in the hotel room. He might have been taking care of his son Michael, who was a who was an infant. And Phyllis Mangina, who was the coach of Seton Hall at the time, we played Providence in the final. But Phyllis, God love her, told Kathy like at halftime of the final, so we're winning. And she goes, "Oh my God, Kathy, what are you doing? Go to my office and call Gino for my office phone," which was like such such a big deal. Like, oh, thank God, I don't need more quarters or whatever she had to do <laughs> to call Gino to update him with score. Um, and so, sure enough, he showed, she called him and she said, I guess at one point in the second half, she called him and said, all right, 
I know we're going to win this game. You've got to get over here. So he got, in, he got in a cab or something and came over to the game and walked in. And I remember him. I remember he had this sweater on. I remember he walked into the gym and he came over to our group. And then we all messed up his hair. It just seemed like the right thing to do. Um, and that was, yeah, that was the first championship, the first conference tournament championship that we had, and he wasn't even allowed to be in the gym. Crazy, right? Very much so. So what I'm getting from this story is Gino just didn't care then like he doesn't care now. Like, he's just going to do what he wants to do. Yeah, he really, that's sort of his deal, you know, like he does... But the thing that's really amazed me about him over the years, he's always done what he thinks is the right thing for the team. Right. Like, and it has, and every decision he's ever made is, is it the right thing for the team and the players? Um, and as much as people may think, oh, yeah, he's got this big ego and this, that, the other, like, he is the most, um, unselfish person when it comes to decisions um, throughout the course of the season. He does what's right for his team, and he does what's right for the game of women's basketball. Um, and also, like, he's such a, a, a team player as far as the university goes. Like, mm-hmm. he is such a dutiful soldier. He'll do whatever he's supposed to do, like, whether it's speaking engagements or, like, all staff meetings. Like, he, he, it's the right thing to do, so he does it. Um, that has not changed, and that has always impressed me about him. Like, he just does the right thing. So he doesn't have that, for lack of a better term, God complex that a lot of people looking from the no. outside think he yeah. would have. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. He really doesn't. Um, he may be sarcastic and say some things, like, <laughs> just to mess with you, but... He really, um, no, he always does the right thing for the team. Got you. Glad we're allowed, we're getting some clarity here and, you know, letting people see and understand a little bit more on the insights of how Gino actually operates. And maybe we can kind of change that narrative about Gino. Well, you know what's funny? I think the narrative has changed over the years because back in the day, like when I left coaching and I had, uh, I did some dub games in the WNBA and other NSA, you know, other NSA tournament games and whatever, broadcasting, people mm-hmm. back then were like, well, what is Gino like? And I'm like, you know, he's a great guy. And people are like, <laughs> no way. He is not. He looks, and I'm like, uh, well, you asked me and I'm telling you. Like, and at that point, I'm like, I've known him for, you know, seven, eight years now, and he's great. And um, and a lot of people resented him. A lot of women in women's basketball back then resented him. Um, but but because of what he's been able to accomplish, right? I mean, certainly the wins and the championships speak for themselves. But the way he has tried to help the game um, and help people in the game, the more the longer he's been around. Um, that narrative has changed. And people, even the people who didn't like him back then, um, I mean, I guess there's always going to be haters. But I think people, everyone who who gets to know him are like, oh, wow, yeah, he is really a great guy. 
Um, but they also have to respect what he's done for the game because he's made the game better. Even though those jokes out there say that UConn's been bad <laughs> for women's basketball, I mean, that's just silly. Um, he's raised the level of the game in a way that no one else has done. So, and actually, we just go ahead and jump right into that. I never understood the statement UConn constantly winning is bad for women's basketball because every time I would hear that, I would in my mind I would think, okay, well, were the Lakers winning bad for the NBA? Were the Celtics winning? Yeah, or like, yeah, the um, Golden State, like, are they bad? Uh, or, you know, when they were on their run. You know what, I think – I think haters are just going to hate, you know, and it's women's basketball. And so there are some people that are never going to buy into it. Maybe, I don't know, or or just small minded people who, um, who don't know success in their own life. And so they have to hate on others who do have success. I don't know. I can't understand. Like I grew up in the Philly area, right? So I was always a Phillies fan and Eagles and Sixers and all that. Mm -hmm. And then as I, got older and the Yankees were in their run. Um, I became, and then UConn started winning. I just became such a diehard Yankees fan because how hard it is to keep winning. Like anyone can win one time, you know, Um, but to do it year in and year out, that's incredible. And what Gino and Chris have done year in and year out, and even now, like, they're having a down year and people are ready um, to lose their minds because they've got three losses and they're ranked six. And people don't know what to do. I mean, I'm, it's crazy um, what what they have they have done and for the length of time they have done it and the way in which they've done it is remarkable. Yeah, because like you said, it's easy, it's relatively easy to get to the top of the mountain. To right. stay there for 30-plus years in some capacity as either champion or being next to the champ mm-hmm. really difficult, and I don't think people understand that. And, it, yeah, it probably will create some contempt amongst others because it's like, will you lose already? Everybody, it's funny, everybody roots for the underdog until right. you get to the top. And then they exactly. won't see you fall. Yeah. Yeah, I think people like like to see others fall. I, I never understood that mentality. And and it's interesting. My philosophy has changed on it where I always, like you said, people root for the underdog. And you always, I always sort of did. And then as I've been intertwined with this program over the last 30 years, um, I have such a respect for those that continue to win. I, it has made me change my perspective. It truly has, because to and but if you think about it, who else has dominated their sport for thirty years? I don't know if it's ever been done, has it? In recent time, in like in recent memory. Oh, like I said, only thing I can think is the Lakers in like the sixties, the seventies, and the eighties. Yeah, the UCLA men had their run right with Wooden. Yep. Um, but, you know, in the modern era, have we seen anything like it? No, because everything else is 10 years at most. The Bulls yeah. ran the 90s, and yeah. even those two years when Mike was gone, they were mm-hmm. a Scotty Tipping diva moment away from going back to the finals, and they probably mm-hmm. would have got Houston out of here. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have a Spurs dynasty, but that's only five rings, and people can say, well, it really isn't what it – it really wasn't dominant because you had the Lakers going at the same time. Mm-hmm. Golden State had a five-year window. Yeah, things don't last more than five, seven years at most. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's real impressive, and the whole is killing the game. If Connecticut did not become what Connecticut is now, I don't feel like women's basketball is what it is now. Like, you're not going to be on 7 o'clock on a Monday night on ESPN. Right. Not ESPN2, not ESPN U, not ESPN News, or one of the many affiliates, like the big main ESPN getting tons right. of promo. Yeah, I mean, when you go back to the beginning, like in 95, um, there's so many factors, you know, right? We're just in a good location. ESPN is here, New York, Boston, you know, that East Coast market, I think, is uh, media market is just different. Um, And we kind of came along at the right time back in the mid-'90s, but the fact that it has continued and and continue to dominate. I, and, and Gino is a compelling figure, right? He's funny. Um, he's an easy interview. People like to talk to him. He's he's comical. He doesn't give you the the you know the classic coach answer, which can be you know which can be so boring. You know, he, you always you never know what you're going to get from him, which the media I think appreciate. Um, and and the fact that they've. Um, they, the thing that also has impressed me with his team and the way he coaches them, and people used to laugh because all, all the broadcasts I've done over the years, I mean, I'd have to go back and, and figure out these statistics, but the, the amount of games that UConn won by, let's say, at least 20 points and, and higher, you know, many of them were 30 or 40-point blowouts, and yeah. people would say to me, how do you guys call these games? You know, like, how do you call a game when it's over before halftime, you know? Um, But the thing about this team, and if you watch them, and I know you've watched them over the years, they always play hard regardless of the score. And that's what I've – something that I've taken away from from doing these games and watching these games and a different respect that I have for Gino that he has made these kids play the game the same way all the time, regardless of the score. Mm-hmm. And and that, I think, is pretty incredible because human nature, I thought, you know, you just take a deep breath when you're up by 25, you know. And um, But he, he, they have consistently maintained this work ethic and this style of play, which other coaches marvel to me about. Like, over all the coaches I've talked to over the years of their opponents, all, they all marvel at how hard UConn works. And I always found that comical. I'm like, well, that's really the only thing that you can control is how hard you work. It shouldn't maybe be that special to them. You know, they may get the best players, but you got to get them to work hard. So anyone could work hard. You may not have the talent, but you have the ability to work hard. It's just fascinating to me that um, that his team – while they may be the most talented and the best basketball players, they also consistently work harder than everybody else. Yeah, I think it's a mentality, and it's also I coach AU ball, so for me, I'm always okay. I'm up thirty in the third quarter or the second half. The clock is running. 
I've pretty much got this in the bag. Mm-hmm. Now I'm on to the next game. I don't need you slacking now when we play again in 30 minutes mm-hmm. or an hour. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's that same mentality. At least that's what I'm seeing from the outside looking at Gino. I'm watching the game. Folks are like, why are you watching this? They're up 35 with like a quarter left. There's no way. I was like, it, it's, it's hard for me to explain. I'm like, there's just the reason why I'm watching this. It's mm-hmm. sensible of it. And also, I don't think people understand how quick basketball actually can move. Mm-hmm. 20, 15 points can go bye-bye in like three minutes of game time. Yeah. I mean, Real if you quick. knock down threes, you know, 15 points can, you know, that could be five possessions, you know. Yeah. All you need is a couple missed layups on your yep. side. They get a couple steals. They hit some shots. Momentum swings real quick yep. in basketball. And I think people that either haven't played, haven't coached, or haven't watched enough high-level basketball in person don't understand that concept. Right. And they it's even, to- and, yeah, and to your point, it's even more impressive. Let's say they're up 30 going into the fourth quarter. And yet you're going to still see them cut hard and get in their defensive stance, box out hard. They still do everything to a high level, even considering the score. And to me, I enjoy enjoy watching that. Like, damn, these guys are still getting after it. At this point in the game, I I just think that's pretty cool. That game was essentially over at halftime. Which game? The Cincinnati game. Oh, last night, yeah. Yeah. You could essentially put it to bed right about half or maybe about halfway through the third quarter, but nope, you still got to play through. Gino still yeah. coached all the way through. And they were still cutting, still playing proper defense, rotating like you're supposed to, because if you let up in this one, you might let that carry into the next. Yeah, it's true. It's so true. And they need to start building some momentum particularly on the offensive end, you know, because they've struggled mightily on offense this year, which, gosh, I haven't seen one of his teams struggle like that for a long time like this. You know, but that's what's so fascinating about the game. Every season is different. You know, even if you have – if you don't have anyone that graduates, you're going to have new people in. So the team, the dynamic changes every season. And, you know, this year is just a different group and it's a different – um, a different team with different skills and different strengths and different weaknesses. And it's just been fascinating to watch him um, as a coach try to, to work through this. It's, people have no idea how like, just arduous and grueling a college basketball season can be on a coach. Um, but it's, it's fun to watch him try to work with this team and mold them. And, and so that. The Cincinnati game was a really good example of lots of hard work kind of coming together. And, like, Kristen Williams turned a corner um, with her shot and it was her offensive game. It's always nice to see a kid come out of a shooting slump, you know. But now mm-hmm. the key will be in the Houston game, she's got to build on it. It's not enough to come out of it for one game. You have to build on it, especially as they approach the conference tournament and the NCAA tournament. Right. And we can just kind of jump to this because I want to ask you your thoughts on this team and how they look this year. Gino says going into the season, there's a whole matter of Westbrook and her eligibility. And Gino basically said, and I'm paraphrasing here, I don't matter. I don't care. I don't give a damn if one player, one player is not going to fix this team. There's a lot more holes that you guys don't see. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, I have a lot of players coming back. I'm having players stepping into roles that they've never played before, so it's going to take them some time to figure it out. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the key. When you think about this the, this team, like, they had Kia Nurse, Gabby Williams, Nafisa Collier, Katie Lou Samuelson over the, the last four to five years, you had those guys. Well, they took up so much of the offensive slack and the defensive slack. So now, you know, Crystal's leading a team as the senior point guard everyone's in a new role. Like Christian Williams goes from a stud freshman who no one paid attention to you because there was Visa and Lou that they had to worry about. And now you're one of the big guns offensively. Well, okay, so between Megan Walker and Christian Williams, they're, those two players are getting, you know, the opposition's best defender and right. all of the attention, right? So, And then it's not only the, the physical aspect of having to now play – try to run offense and try to score when you're the one or two, you know, in the lineup um, in terms of scoring options. But it's also the mental, the, the struggle of having the pressure. And then when things start going bad and, like, the wheels are falling off, they don't run – everyone's standing around, they don't run offense. Everyone's standing around kind of looking, okay, who's going to do this? Someone else is going to step up and do this, right? Because I never had to do this before. And it's – trying to work through those kinks. And the thing that you also can't really know prior to a kid coming to college to play for you is what is their real personality type and how do they respond to stress and how do they respond to failure? You don't really know that. And personality types are what they are. Like some people are natural born leaders. Some mm-hmm. people have to learn how to do that. Um, but how do, how do kids today... Uh, which, you know, you hear Gina say that all the time, but how do kids today deal with failure? Well, how many of them actually have to deal with failure? Like they're shielded from it. Yeah, they're shielded from it so much growing up in today's culture. And it's not their fault. You know, the adults are in charge. Um, People just feel, I mean, failure is the greatest way to learn. It sucks going through it, but typically come out stronger and better for it on the other side. And um, I just, I feel bad for a lot of kids today who who don't have a lot of that failure as a part of their personality now and their makeup to help them, you know, deal with adversity in college. And you're dealing with adversity in a program that is, you know, the most covered by the media. So the public scrutiny in the state of Connecticut, I mean, Everyone, they're kind of gets darlings, the UConn women. Well, that's, and you're playing for the most demanding coach who doesn't let you get away with anything. So, I mean, that can be a slap in the face to some of these kids. And it's tough to adjust to, but they know it coming in, but know it coming, knowing it coming in and actually living through it and processing it and th- trying to thrive with it, it takes that's what takes the biggest amount of time for all these different kids. And once they get it, they have it for life. And so you can't fake it. That's the fascinating part to me. And and having seen this process now for so long, the great players, when they come in here, um, they have great talent, but everyone has something that they have to work on. And Gino, he has this innate ability to know what each kid needs but it's almost as if each kid, they, you got to strip down to your core, to your foundation, and then build up. 
and that process is different for every great player that has come through here. None of them come through it unscathed. You have to, for it to be really authentic and really real, you have to get, you have to go through that. And it's, it is often painful, but again, it's going through that sort of adversity and struggle and then coming out on the other side. You know, those are the Diana Taurasi's, the Stubers, the Brianna Stewart's, the Tina Charles. I mean, Tina Charles had a tough, she had a tough first couple of years here. It wasn't easy for her here. It was a, it was a battle. Um, but so her process probably took two, two and a half years here. Um, everyone is different and, uh, but it's, but I think that's why the UConn players do so well in the pros because they've, he's, he's met, he's dealt with all of their inner demons and inner struggles, kind of stripped them down to their core and then built them back up. And that's why they do so well when they leave here. It's kind of like Gino's broken me for the past four years and put me back together multiple times. I can take anything after this. Yeah, I, I see. Yeah, I feel like it's one whole process. Like it may be there might it might be a multifaceted, um, a, like prongs to it mm-hmm. of that strip down and build back up. Um, but it's you know it's whatever, and every situation is unique. Like every person is unique. And each, everyone needs something different. And that's where he's really good. Like, he's a people person at heart. And so he knows what each one needs. And and he has the relationships. See, he works hard at relationships. So he has that trust and um, relationship with each player to be able to go that hard at them. Because they want it, too. They may just not know how to get it. He right. teaches them how to get it, and again, it's, sometimes it's a it's a painful process. But you know, most of the worthwhile things that we end up with in life, you know, it's it's a hard process to get there. It's not supposed to be easy. It's like if you're given it, you don't really appreciate it. Absolutely, and it does, and you can't sustain it if it's fake. You know, it's got to be legit. And speaking of sustaining, looking at this team, I did a podcast with a little State of the Union, and I was like, there's no need to panic because we've lost three games. It's very familiar territory. I will admit that. (laughs) I mean, think about how crazy it is to say that, though, right? I mean, three games. Yeah. And it's not like we lost to, say, uh, who's somebody that's on the downswing? Like Rutgers. No offense to Rutgers. Right. We didn't lose to Notre Dame, right? Exactly. And Gino's not crying in press conferences either. (laughs) I mean, we literally lost to the number one team in the country, the number two team at the time, and I believe the number, I think Oregon was three or four at the time. Yeah, we lost to three really good teams. Yeah. They're all likely one seeds also. Right. So it's not like we lost to Scrubs. Right. But – Looking at that, how do you – and just looking at this team, I was taken away from watching their games that this is a team, for whatever reason, when the off, it takes a while for the offense to start almost every single game. Mm-hmm. And that once it gets started, it's hard to stop it, but it, it takes a minute. And then, two, at least for me watching, this seems to be a team that struggles against teams that are long, and especially teams that are long down low mm-hmm. in the post. Yeah. I mean, I agree with all of that. I mean, um, 
and it's funny. I don't know if some of these kids are just stubborn um, <laughs> and they want to do things their way, you know, and they're not ready to do things his way. I don't. But yeah, they start slow, and I have found, you know, they struggle against teams that play zone. Like I, it, it makes them stand around. Um, I don't know what the problem has been with getting the the movement offensively. I know that's been a great struggle and, you know, a big question mark, like why? Um, and that, that's, you know, that's what they're trying to figure out on a daily basis at practice. But, yeah, they're not they're not that big in size. You know, it's Olivia right nelson Adota is, you know, she's the lone, you know, inside presence above 6'2", right? I mean, she's 6'3", six, 6'4", six, yeah. very thin, you know, like a baby deer. I mean, she's come <laughs> she's come along so great this year. She really turned a corner. Um, but some of it is just she's got to get physically stronger. I mean, she's trying. Um, but some of that is just your body type, you know. I know she lifts a lot, did in the off season, worked really hard this past summer. She's just really long and lean. Um, <laughs> she doesn't have the the ability to gain weight like people like I do. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I mean, and they and they're just they're thinner in numbers. Yeah, like had like you mentioned Davina Westbrook before. Yeah, she might she would really help. But you know what? It's almost a blessing. It's funny how things happen in life. Like mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty bogus the way the whole NCAA waiver thing played out. But I think the blessing of it was she's not healthy. Like she had knee surgery. So you know, I think they're lucky that. Maybe it happened the way it did, and now she'll have she she wouldn't have lost this year to the injury like if she was eligible to play, well, her knee wasn't right and had to get right. fixed again, so you know so maybe it's now she'll have um she won't have to have lost this year, you know hey, and even with Westbrook, she's only listed at six feet Olivia yeah yeah. You got a couple at six two, Adebayo six two, Taylor Irwin is six two, but it's like this is I don't want to say it's a short team. It kind of is but, though. Yeah. yeah. It's just like you're missing height in the important yeah. spots because Tennessee I think everybody on Tennessee's roster is six four or taller with the exception of one player. And if you yeah. watch the first half, they were they look, they, it was they were they would look huge, didn't they? Yeah, I watch it on TV. I'm like, hold on, Tennessee can't be this long and this tall at every spot on the floor. Yeah. But I can only I, imagine you know, what you saw. Yeah, I mean, I, they were huge. But like anything, you know, the game, uh, you know, it's a 40-minute game. And so, okay, so if their strength is their height, our strength is our speed, and can you run with us? And as it turned out, for 40 minutes, they could not, you know? Right. And Audrey Griffin came in. I mean, she's incredible. Um, just such a physical specimen. And she changed the game defensively and um, with such a spark off the bench and just changed the complexion of that game. It was pretty fun to watch. Yeah, I definitely feel like Griffin and Marco, out by the time they're four or five years are up, they might go down. I don't want to say that's best, but some of the most essential players. Oh, my gosh. And so different, right? Like, I mean – Aubrey is just, I mean, just scratching the surface on her basketball abilities. I mean, but her physical skills mm-hmm. are pretty amazing to watch up close. 
so that'll be fun to watch her evolve. Um, and then Makarat is an old school player, you know, like just has such great vision, such a smart basketball player. Steve plays developing a tremendous passer. Um, I love to watch her pass the ball. And then, and uh, in the Cincinnati game, she was so, it was nice to see her get into a flow offensively, like just mm -hmm. stroking the ball. Like I knew, and she struggled with her confidence early on this season, but like I knew a couple times when she shot the ball that it was going to go in. Like her body language, just it just said so. You know, like she just felt so good and it looked so pure leaving her hand. Um, it didn't even touch the rim, some of them. Like, it was fun to watch. And it's just, it, and that's the cool part of the vantage point that I have, to be able to watch these kids grow and evolve, like, right in front of our eyes. And it, maybe it's as I'm getting older, it's something that I appreciate more. I maybe wasn't as aware of it when I was younger, like, in my 30s doing games. Um, but it's that part, to me, is really fun uh, to watch these guys grow as people and as players, and then to realize what they're capable of um, and to see them succeed, that's that's a pretty special thing to be able to witness. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned Makarov's passing because I think a lot of people just see her as a pure shooter, which she is. She's a great shooter, but her passing is definitely underrated because I believe it may have been the Cincinnati game. It was a three-on-two break or maybe a two-on-one break she gets a pass, and I'm like, oh, she's going to pull up. And she just drops off a beautiful touch pass that I did not see coming. Oh, is that the behind-the-back one to Crystal? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that might have been Cincy at home. Um, yeah, she – and you know what's interesting? The other players, when she's in the game, they cut harder because they know she can find them. Like, it's pretty interesting to watch the offense, the flow of the offense when she's in there because uh, she's – I mean, I would say, I mean, in some respects, this isn't saying all that much because this team does struggle passing the ball. But she's, <laughs> and so she's the best passer on the team. And it's sort of like a backhanded compliment. Um, but she she is such a great passer that the other players, they know that if they find an opening in the floor, like if they cut hard, she'll find them. And so it's fun to watch. And then, and then like anything – then everyone else wants to pass. That that can become contagious. Like those really pretty unselfish passes, which is sort of a, a hallmark of this team. Not quite as much this year, just because these kids happen to be not great passers. But when they watch her make some of these beautiful passes, then I notice the ball starts flying around a little bit more and there's more passes like that, you know. So just like great shooting can be contagious and like you know, like in baseball, when guys start hitting the ball, that can get contagious. Yep. I find the passing can be as well. Um, you mentioned zone and passing with this team. Isn't that a lot of high schools and a especially in AU, nobody plays zone? You think that's part of the problem? Could be. That they don't I mean, I think see they, it that often. I, yeah, I mean, I think AAU, you know, hurt the game in so many ways. Um, there's no competitiveness. Um, they play 10 games a weekend or whatever it is. Um, and I'm, this is a generalization, you know, certainly not everybody, but mm -hmm. the, there's not as much. Gino and I were talking about this um, recently, um, like as an example. And, again, not to be that old person doing this, but 
back when I played AAU, we had a, a, <clears throat> the regional tournament was in April, and if you won that, you went to nationals. So it was really competitive. And so all winter, we had four practices a weekend, two on Saturday, two on Sunday. And and then we we practiced leading, all leading up to this one tournament in April. And it was competitive as hell. And and we, but you, if you're practicing four times a weekend, you're getting better. You know, you're improving your skills and, and whether it's offensive skills, defensive skills, ball handling, uh, whatever it is. Um, and now there's just games every weekend. And I don't know how much practice there is. So, oh, and Gino, and, and, yeah, and Gino said kids coming into, even his program, one of the top programs in the country, kids are coming in lacking skills. And you're thinking, wait a minute, these are the best players in the country that are coming here. How do they not have skills? But the competitiveness thing, to me, is a big problem, too, because, like, kids don't, they they don't have the competitiveness because they haven't had to, right? Like, if you play eight games in a weekend, well, if I'm losing this game, well, I got another one soon, so I don't really care so much because I know I got three more tomorrow. You know right. what I mean? So that, and that, and then for some of those kids, only the real special kids can come here to play because you know you're going to be challenged, and it, every practice is super competitive, and you're going to be challenged in ways that you've never been challenged before. Um, but you have to really want to fight. And some of these kids come in not really knowing how to fight because they've never had to. Yeah. So a lot of these AAU teams are super teams. What's that? I said a lot of these AAU teams are super teams where you get five of the top 50 prospects on one team. Right. And it's just like, all right, cool. So you just blow out everybody, and then you have one game that you have to tightly play. Right, right. So, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know what the answer is, but it just it just changes. I know it's changed the game, the college game for him, just based on what he's told me. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, in some respects I feel bad for the kids because um, they're not really getting the most out of themselves. But they're not tapping into all their potential. God, I really sound old, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. But I will get off your lawn before you yell at me. No. No way. <laughs> don't worry about it. Um, I got just a few more things I get you out of here. I don't want to take up too much of your time today. Okay. Um, looking at this team, I did my little state of the union. I said at best this is a elite eight. Final fourteen, but not eighteen that can cut down the net to win it all. Yeah. It hurt me to say that. Yeah, so I'm just looking I mean, at South Carolina and everything, and I'm just like, if we don't hit and we don't get things going, it will be a long day at the office. Yeah, I, I, you're right. I mean, you got to have talent. You have to have, and you got to have depth, right? I mean, even. Now, most teams go six or seven deep. Very rarely do people go eight, nine. But um, UConn is not only – they're thin, right? They don't have a very deep bench at all. Now, the the the, um, the evolution of Makarot and Griffin has helped tremendously. 
Um, and Nelson Adota has really upped her game in the last couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, nearly breaks her nose and then was sick for the Cincinnati game with, like, you know, flu-like symptoms or something like that. So she was she didn't play much against Cincinnati. Um, so if they can get everyone on the same page and get things rolling, you never know what can happen. Hey, look at, you know, Morgan Valley at Hartford. They beat Stony Brook. Yep. Hartford Hartford almost went 0-29 or 26 for the season. And they end up beating the number one team in the America East, who is 25-2, and two, and they end up beating them. So, you know, anything can happen on any given day. We know that. Um, but I don't disagree with you. I, I would be shocked if UConn – part of me would be surprised. You know, I think they can make the Final Four, but, like, I'm not booking a ticket or anything, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it depends, like everything else. Like, you always got to get a good seating, who you paired with. Like, there was one bracket that had them paired with Oregon. I think mm-hmm. the NCAA would be foolish to put them in Oregon's bracket, you know, because they know that UConn draws people and draws ratings. Do they really want UConn out before the Final Four? Maybe they yeah, do. Well. Maybe, maybe everyone's sick of UConn. I mean, I know people yeah. have been traditionally sick of UConn, but the last I checked, the NCAA likes to make money. <laughs> Yeah, this is true. <laughs> and honestly, putting us in Oregon's bracket does Oregon no favors because it's, for me, watching that Oregon game, I'm watching and I'm like, one or two shots fall. Oregon is in a world of hurt because I don't think they could have handled the blitz. Yeah, I agree with that. Like, I I didn't watch the film afterwards. I was at the game, but um, and I know UConn played really badly. Now Oregon was awesome. Oh, um, definitely played probably their best people, game all year. People, I was talking to some scouts after the game who said that Oregon made shots that they don't normally make. Um, so if you if you go into you know the next contest and maybe some shots don't fall, UConn plays better. It could be a different game. You know, they, I know South Carolina. I watched that game. Um, I don't know. I think all of these losses have helped. Maybe these are some of those failures that these kids needed to go through. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like they're tougher. I feel like they're a little smarter. Um, but it's a long season, and so they're still a work in progress. But, hey, scoring a, over 100 against Cincinnati was a pretty good way. Um, Cincinnati had 112 at home and was is a physical team, but UConn, I thought, played one of their better games. And for late February, that's a good time to be hitting your stride, you know. I say it's best to peak late than to peak early. That's for sure. Peak heading into the American Athletic Conference tourney. Wow, I hate that tournament. (laughs) Why do you hate it? It's just the most random name for a conference. And it's the (laughs) most random collection of teams. And I blame college football for the death of the greatest basketball conference ever. Yeah, I know. And now that you guys are going back, it's not even the same conference. You know what I mean? No. It's like, who's left in the Big East? Because Syracuse is gone. Pitt is gone. I know. It's just like, like, I'm happy to be back in the Big East, but it's like, well, yeah, Big East, I, I love. Yeah, I agree. And it's nice, though, too, to be back with uh, in a conference where the schools really value basketball. Yeah. You know, and, and think about it. I, 
I mean, outside the Northeast, I don't know if basketball is as as appreciated as it is in the Northeast. Um, yeah, I'm in football country down here. Yeah, you are. And hey, I mean, there's nothing like a, a big time college football game. Like that is such a cool environment. Um, but you know, UConn tried it and it didn't work. You know, it, it almost worked. Uh, and and you know, maybe this independent thing will go. I don't know. I don't know. I'd just rather be in the gym with eighteen to twenty thousand fans versus a stadium with sixty or eighty or a hundred thousand. Yeah. A lot warmer inside. <laughs> yeah. You at least you at least know what the weather's gonna be inside, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, it's gonna be seventy two. Nice and relax. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I just wanna to touch on a couple things. Like sure. I said, I wanna kinda of backtrack a little bit and we've kind of hit around this and touched on it. You accomplished a lot of first, and you coached at UConn for two years. I'm taking just two. Yeah, two years. Yeah. And during that last year, you were on the first national championship team, the 95 team. What was that like, A, going from player to assistant? Because I read where you were like, I graduated. And I was like, I don't know what I want to do. I just not want to do something and not go back home. So you basically went through the athletic department and found your way to assist it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 loved, I loved playing for Gino, and the opportunity sort of came up and presented itself, and I even forget how. Um, but I, I thought, what better way to try to give back to a program um, than to be on the staff um, and I learned so much in those two years, and I remember thinking at one point throughout that time that every college athlete should work as an as an assistant or work on the staff in some capacity to mm-hmm. really learn everything that goes into the process, the process by which is all for them. And every decision that's made is for the for the team, and it was such a fascinating experience. Um, and and working for Gino and Chris, there could there there couldn't be two more different individuals in the way they do things. <laughs> um, but that's why they work so well together. Um, so that part it was fascinating, but. But like in like the '94, we lost a heartbreaker to North Carolina at Rutgers in the tournament, and that ended our season. And then, mm-hmm. you know, to go back, and then when I think of the '95 season, we, the way we started, I mean, I, I none of us thought it would end up to be 35 and 0 in the national championship. And it was interesting because you thought we were bringing up the Big East. People were complaining um, about us and the huge margins of victory that we had against a lot of the Big East teams back then. And they were complaining, saying, and very critical, saying, ah, they don't play anybody. They got no one on their schedule. They got no shot. And we just kind of marched our way through the tournament and um, and then destroyed um, Stanford in the semis and then beat Tennessee in the finals. Um, but – Again, not, never. I don't think any of us really thought that a national championship was um, the actual. Like, like, yeah, we're going to win this year. We just went to work every day and tried to get better. 
And, it's, and it's, that's why they've been so successful because they're just very process-oriented. Do you think not aiming for a national title actually helps? Because it's almost like if you go in like, all right, bowl is a national title, you kind of forget some things or you kind of become tunnel-visioned. <clears throat> yeah, if I you mean, just go you, next one up. Well, you know what's funny? The longer I've been around these guys and the different teams that they've had, if you remember, there are some years where Gina's like, we'll be back here next year. Right. You know, like we're – because when – like cause talent really trumps everything. When you know you have the most talented team, um, and but maturity is also a big thing. Um, if you know you've got the talent and you know your team is mature enough to handle those expectations, that's what he has built. Like here, early on, you know, quite like what you just said, you know, let's just not go too – let's not put the cart before the horse. Let's just focus on day-to-day and then, you know, the national championship might be in the back of my mind, but I'm not going to say it. You know, you have to know your team and your personnel. And some of it's Gino's old – his own personality – and confidence in his team and in his program and in himself and getting them to where they need to be. Um, so that's been interesting to watch his um, his tactics along those lines over the years, whether he's talking about a national championship or saying, you know, no, we're not any good this year, knowing, knowing that they're, pro- they're better than he's probably saying. Uh, but he's always pretty honest about his assessment of things. Sometimes they prove, you know, the kids end up doing um, more than he expects them to do, or maybe he gets more out of them than he thought he could. Um, but like this year is is an example. Like when they became number one early in the season, I texted him and I'm like, "What in the hell just happened? You're number one? Like how is that possible?" <laughs> um, and that I think spoke more to the game is overall. I think down like. They're de- it's down a little bit, or maybe just the talent is spread out more, because, and there's been so many upsets of late, um, which has kind of made it a little bit more exciting, you know? Yeah, it's kind of more fun where it's just like, oh, well, somebody else just went down. Somebody else just I went know. down. Yeah. So that's um, that's been interesting. So I think the this NCAA tournament will be pretty fun. I think there will be some upsets. Um, shoot, UConn might get upset early in the tournament. Who knows? Um, yeah, I was looking at a bracket, and it had us in the same region as South Carolina, and I kind of went through, and I was like, all right, there's Kentucky, there's Arizona, there's Florida State. I think there's, like, somebody else, and I was like, to be honest with you, depending upon how things shake out, any of those teams could come out from that. You know, there's no – yeah, and as you advance in the tournament, that's where the game, I think, has really evolved. There's a lot of really good teams out there. Like, and you mentioned the Arizona State, you know, Florida State. Like, there's a lot of Louisville, Kentucky. Um, there's a lot of really good teams out there um, who, more so than ever, can pull the upset in, in the earlier rounds that we just, you know, you don't see a lot of upsets in women's basketball. I think this tournament will probably see more than we ever have. Yeah, and hopefully we're on the good side of that. And, you know, we yeah, avoid the I upset. so. I mean, um, but see, that's where his, where Gino and Chris are so good is how they prepare their mm-hmm. teams for those moments and practices 
are really hard and it's the mental stuff that is more important than the physical stuff. And uh, and that's why they typically, um, you know, don't lose in those, make, you know, make or break games. They typically uh, play well. Now, this year, I think the Baylor and South Carolina games, or no, Oregon um, and South Carolina, I thought they, that was a, those were some of the first examples of a team, of a UConn team looking weak, you know. Oh, and like the South Carolina game, I, I thought it looked like they gave up a little bit. And that yeah, I kind of cut it off. Yeah. Like the third it, quarter. I was like, actually, there's nothing yeah. to watch. I was texting with a lot of former players, and we have all these text chains going. And it was the, the constant theme around it was everyone was pissed. Like, this is not how we play. This is not what we do. Um, and and that's kind of, you know, hey, that's like every family, you know. Like, you got to take the good and the bad. But um, that was the overriding theme from everybody was, damn, that's not what we do. But, you know, maybe these kids needed to have that kind of horrible failure right. to really understand how to fight through it. Okay, I'm glad I'm not, like, as a fan – that you former players have the same feeling that I was having because I'm watching it and I'm just like, it's starting to piss me off. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's not that shots aren't falling. I was like, something here is pissing me off and I literally turned it off and like cut on my PlayStation or something. I was like, I don't even want to watch this. <laughs> I just I deleted it off my DVR. <laughs> I know. Act like it never happened, right? I don't yeah, want to watch like, this. No. Imagine, imagine if the point, hold on, sorry. Imagine if the, the players having to watch. Imagine having to watch that film back. Uh, How painful nope. would that be? Nope. But that's where the film doesn't lie, man. At all. It doesn't At lie. All. <laughs> <laughs> what are you gonna but say about hard? I, yeah, I was gonna say the Baylor game was actually a close game going into the fourth quarter. It was a one point game, and then they just went cold. UConn went cold, and Baylor went on a run. That's why that score looked so bad. Yeah. And UConn made a lot of really just bonehead plays down that stretch. And remember, oh, and I remember Gino got in trouble, which it kind of faded because it was stupid. But he made it like, and they were dumb plays. Like all of us, like he got in trouble for like, oh, the, you know, how about my guys? They're dopes. They foul kids, and you know, at the end of the game, yeah. it's a thirteen-point game, and now it's an eighteen-point game. And, and if you, oh, should he really say that? Listen, any of us who have ever played the game. The play, like, okay, that's a stupid play. That's a very dumb play. Like, it's exactly what it was. And the kids knew that it was dumb. So, I mean, people, let's just get over it. I mean, yeah, plus also, would you not want this honesty? Absolutely. Oh, no, let's just con- continue to, to you know, blow fake sunshine up their butts because that's going to help them. Yeah. I mean, come on. Uh, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so let me get you out of here real quick with this. You have kids. You mentioned your son when we were trying to um, get this situated oh, and how yeah, he got yeah, sick yeah. and everything. Yeah. Do your kids play basketball? Uh, they do. My son is. Uh, my kids are fourteen, thirteen, and eleven. I have a, a boy and two girls. Mm-hmm. Um, he he's a freshman in high school. My girls are in middle school, um, and they do play. 
Um, and you know what? I I just try to stay out of it. I just try to. Uh, I do. I, I don't want to be. It, it's their life. You know, it's it's hard enough because people are like, oh, you're, you know, your mom plays basketball. You guys must play basketball. So there's already an inherent pressure on them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my, so I, they, they play, like my girls swim. My middle one plays lacrosse and field hockey and swims. Um, my younger one plays soccer and swims and plays basketball. Um, my son plays football and, and basketball. So, you know, my, my my husband played football in college, and so um, we our theory is, you know, we had our time. This is their time, and and uh, I drive them to the games, and you know, cheer them on, and pick them up, and bring them home, and what are we doing for dinner? Gotcha. That's sort of that's the way we roll here. I was gonna say, did mom coach them? Did mom teach them a few tricks? Uh, you know what? No, and uh, my youngest would. Um, would literally die before she let me coach her. <laughs> um, my middle one may be okay. I don't know. Um, but it, it's so funny. Kids are just so funny, you know. And I, my husband one time said to my son, you know, your mom, he was frustrated or something like mm-hmm. a year ago. And he goes, you know, your mom actually plays for probably the best coach of all time. And she probably knows a few things. You, you could probably talk to her and maybe get some um, guidance or support or help or drills or whatever. And he was like, yeah, that's a good idea. Um, and I don't know. Uh, it never really, you know, I tried, I tried not to push it. Um, we talked a little bit, but, you know, it has to come from him and it has to come from them. And there's nothing worse than a kid who's doing something because they think their parents want them to do it. Mm-hmm. That's never going to, like that goes back to what we talked about, like with Gino, make it, kind of stripping kids down and then building them back up. Like if it's got to be authentic, it has to be real. You know, like if it's not real coming from them, then why do it? Right, they're going to burn out quick. They're going to eventually hate it. Be, yeah, it's got to be their deal. So they have fun, they, you know. The only thing we say to them is have fun and be a good teammate. That's kind of the only stuff that we kind of talk about here. You know, play hard, have fun, and be a good teammate. I was hoping the cool, you know, coach mom story here, and you're just like, no, nah, I'm hands off. No. They're, they're fine without me. No, if they, you know, if, if uh, and it's hard for me, too, because I'm with the basketball season, I can't really be around. I, right. I'm not consistently here to be able to to um, to be at their games or practices, but um, yeah, it's it's more um, kind of reading the room and reading the tea leaves. And there's um, no, I, I, if they wanted me involved more, I would be, but it's uh, it is what it is. So we're uh, they're happy, having fun, and and that that works for me. Well, I thank you for your time, Megan. No problem. I'm sure the listeners enjoy this, will enjoy this, and thank you for your time as well. No sweat. I'm glad we finally got it to happen.
All right, so as you guys heard, that was my great in-depth conversation with the great Megan Como. And again, thank you to Megan for taking the time out of your busy schedule to sit down and talk with me and discuss all things UConn basketball. And this is going to be one of those episodes where you kind of got to go back and listen maybe two, maybe three, four times just to get all the knowledge and the depth and just make sure that you didn't miss anything. Because I came into this conversation expecting, you know, okay, talk a little bit about your playing time, Megan. We'll talk a little bit about your time coaching. You know, maybe we'll get a couple Geno stories and then we'll get like a little prediction. So I was like, all right, cool. This should be like 15, 20 minutes in and out. Boom. Nope. As you could tell, me and Megan were able to talk for a little over an hour, close to an hour and a half. Promise you, we probably could have talked for another two, three hours on top of that about UConn basketball. But what I got from this conversation is that Megan doesn't want it to be about her. Because anytime I would ask a question about, oh, what's your most favorite moment? What's this? She would always pivot to her teammates or to the whole team. Or be like, oh, you know, it's because of Gino and Coach Daly and my teammates that I was able to achieve this. It was always a we thing, a family thing, which was the theme of this conversation when she was always like, it's a family. She talked about how she just got a care package from UConn Athletics for the women's side and was like, hey, you know, here's a photo from the anniversary a Gamble. It's the 30th anniversary. You know, here's the old logo on the long sleeve shirt. Here's a nice little package. And she reached back out. She's like, thank you, guys. The whole time through, she always talked about how it was a family, how when she's around the current players, she's like, hey, one day you're going to be like me. It's a family. You're going to be a part of this. You're going to be doing what I'm doing. You're going to be bridging the gap. And that, like she said, is the key to Connecticut success. It's Gino and Coach Daly have been able to make this family thing last that is actually a family she said that yeah Gino will do whatever the hell Gino wants to do but Gino does that with the intent and the thought and the belief that it is for the greater good of the team and for the greater good of women's basketball and I kind of alluded at the beginning of like oh you know we talk about how they don't see you as just oh you're here for four or five years I'm gonna get most out of you and get rid of you for lack of better term so, family, there we go. That's why I say about this podcast that this is a listener-friendly podcast that I open and welcome all feedback, comments, and everything because I want this to feel like our show, like a family show. So, go ahead, hop on Twitter and tweet Believe Podcast and let them know how you felt about this episode. That's at Believe Podcast. Believe, of course, is spelled B-L-E-A-V, podcast, all one word. Let them know, but like, hey, we appreciate this. Like, thank you. I didn't know I didn't know who Megan was. I didn't realize that Megan was that great of a player, that she was that important to the history of Connecticut basketball, things of that nature. Because like I said, Megan is kind of one of the most underrated, and I don't want to keep saying forgotten players. But it's just, if you go through like a list of UConn greats, and this is no slight to Megan at all, you're going to hit Diana Taurasi. You're going to hit Katie Lou, Sue Bird. Sales, Tina Charles, Maya Moore. Like, you're going to hit 15, maybe 20 plus names before you get to Megan. And you might not get to Megan if you are just familiar with UConn from like Rebecca Lobo on. So it becomes a little tricky. And it's one of those things where over time, the growth of the game, 
it's like you forget certain players from certain eras and it's no fault of their own because they weren't that damn good and still are that damn good. It's just as times change, eras change, the way you consume things change, you forget stuff. It's like baseball. Yeah, you hear about Babe Ruth. You hear about all the greats from his era. But if you go look, yeah, I'm pretty sure you can find several more that were just as good. But for whatever reason, the narrative has always pushed Babe Ruth and so on and so forth. People like that. Football's the same way. Basketball's the same way. Oscar Robinson, the big O. Yeah, he gets brought up, but if you really look at it, he would the most dominant player back in that era, like hands down, and he would destroy the era now as well, hands down. So the narrative to things change over the course of time. However, I'm not going to let anybody forget about Megan because Megan's one of the best. And as you can see, she's one of the most humble and honestly should probably be like, look, I don't want it to be about me. I want it to always be about UConn and everything that the women have done and that Gino has done and Coach Daly has done. It's about the program. It's not about me. That is true. It is the program. But however you laid the foundation and the groundwork for this program, it was such an essential part that if what you and your group of teammates, if y'all didn't accomplish what you accomplished, UConn basketball might not be what it is today. I might not be here recording this outro to this episode if it wasn't for Megan Como and her teammates. That early group where you were playing in a field house that you had to share with a baseball team in the offseason before you moved into Campbell, where you were playing in front of 5,000, 3,000 tops, maybe, on a good day, before you hit that national stage where you're selling out every home game. You have to lay the foundation. And a lot of times, those that lay the foundation are forgotten. But nope, like I said, we're not going to forget you, Megan. So I know you're going to listen to this. You're going to chuckle. You'll probably text me and be like, yo, really? you just going to shower praise on me when I don't want it? But yes, I'm giving you the flowers that you deserve while you're still here to get them. You are one of the greatest Huskies of all time. I don't care what anybody says. You're in the top 25. You are that important to UConn basketball because, like I said, you laid the foundation. We kind of call you the godfather, you know? No, no, no. Let me know how you feel about that one. But seriously, though, Megan Como is one of the greatest Huskies of all time. I appreciate her taking the time out. If you have any more questions about Megan, please tweet me. Do some Googles. I might try to get Megan back for a second episode. We could do like a little Q&A, give a little more depth, maybe flesh out the character, get her to come out the humble shell a little bit. But nonetheless, this has been the Believe in UConn Women's Basketball Podcast. Like always, I'm your host, Jacob DeLawrence. You know how we end this show, guys. Bleed blue. We're UConn. You're not. Sorry, not sorry. And last but not least, in Gino, we trust. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. 
Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.